Hello, so welcome to yet another Career Conversations series. And today we have Mr. Prakash Ayer. I am Ahmedabad batch of 1986, and then he started his career with Hindustan Unilever. Later on, became the MD of Kimberly Clark. And before that, he was even the MD and CEO of Infomedia. Today, he is a best-selling author, a motivational speaker. and a leadership coach he also has a youtube channel recently started but you are going to get a lot of good insights about life and management there so welcome to the show sir thank you anurag yeah good so, to sir, be here yeah so sir drawing cues from your tedx talk go fly a kite and maybe you can give us some context to that in your early career days uh, who was the one who held your kite and hoisted it uh, your parents probably and what were they doing what was your family background you could just get us started there sure so i guess uh, the reference to who was the guy who hoist, you know held up the kite for me was really to the fact that um it's uh, it's not easy to get a kite to take off once it's up in the air anybody can fly it and very often it's a good idea to get somebody who will help hold it for you and will actually send it out you know help you to kind of fly it and that's really the reference and for me i think my father was a huge influence in my life i think certainly a lot of the the early lessons uh, the interest in writing and perhaps in speaking um the confidence i think that he gave me and the reassurance i think i i owe it to him and to the rest of my family so they were huge influences i'd say my teachers in school were also pretty big influences and i still remember uh, a lady called otti d'souza who was my english teacher um and i think she she kind of you know i i i think there's a special place uh, in my heart for her um who else um i guess uh, a lot of people at work uh, some early bosses um, certainly have been huge influences and there's certainly a man who i i saw as a bit of a mentor you know so so there are lots of people who who've made a difference in my life too many and i'm probably the kind of person who who kind of uh, thrived on the fact that hey you don't have to be able to fly a kite on your own just get somebody to help you and then together you can fly that kite quite easily that's probably how i lived my life yeah but it takes a lot of uh, thing in terms of getting over your ego and approaching help sir uh, so often like when you are in leadership position you still have to get over that ego and say okay i'm asking this young guy this young sales guy to get a feel of that territory doesn't it get one conditioning the ego becomes a challenge so i i think it's a good idea to be able to set that ego aside uh and maybe that came to me pretty early in my life you know i i remember as a little kid you know we used to play a lot of cricket in in inter class or my building versus your building in mumbai kind of cricket and i still remember that in my class in the inter class cricket i used to captain my class team and i always knew i'm not captain because i'm the best player in the team i wasn't the best player uh but i took great pride in the fact that you know they thought i was good enough to be captain and that i could perhaps get somebody else to help the team win uh, rather than think that you know i am the best player i have to make this team win and that i think has stayed with me for most of my career so uh, it's it's probably a good idea and i'd like to believe a lot of lot of the people out there who get it right are people who don't have too much of an ego and ego can be a bit of a spoiler i think fair point sir so sir you entered i am ahmedabad in the year i was born 1984 <clears throat> so was mba yeah. in vogue then as much as it's today so for example today mba is like your passport to the ceo world in some way or let's say management consulting ib in the recent times 
And what are the CAT percentile cutoffs then? So my first part of the question is this, sir. Um, so it's interesting uh, when you say, is it as popular as it was, as it, as it is today? Uh, I don't know. I, I probably think the MBA graph has also peaked a few years ago and it's probably people are beginning to say, is this really worth, worth very much right now? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I certainly think there wasn't as much noise uh, around the, the whole MBA thing. There weren't so many institutes for a start. So you had those three, uh, three institutes from the IIMs in those days. You had an ABC, you know, and that was really it. And there were a few. There was a place like Bajaj um, in Mumbai or XLRI in Jamshedpur, which were very, very popular, very famous. But there were far fewer than what you see today. Today, there are so many schools. Um, I don't think there'd be any of us knew a thing called percentile cutoff. So I don't think any of us knew that. Uh, I don't think it existed. Um, what's interesting for me is that, um, I don't think it was such a, it was as competitive as it might be today where people, you know, bright guys like you will probably score 99 and 99 plus to, to kind of make the cut. I, I, I do think if we were to do that test again, I don't know if I would make it. So the good news for us in those days was that the classroom in business school, um, was a lot more diverse. Uh, I, I remember going back to campus uh, several times and I was quite amazed at the number of engineers, for example, in, in class. And those percentages were almost like the percentile cutoff. You know, they were always north of 90%. And I used to think that, whoa, that's, that's a hell of a lot. But I think in, in my time, certainly in Ahmedabad, I'm thinking that it must have been like a 55, 60% uh, engineers. Uh, and then about 30, you know, the rest were really uh, people from, from various other disciplines. I do think um, that made for a more interesting classroom. They weren't, everybody wasn't thinking the same way, I think, and that helped. And, but gender diversity wouldn't have been there. There would be like five, six girls in the whole batch, as much as it is today. Yeah. Now it's like 40% of the batch. True, so, true. It was, nowhere, it was nowhere near this. Yeah, we had very few, very few. So we used to have one out of 18 dorms that we had at that time. Yeah. Uh, we had just one dormitory for girls. On old and, campus. and today you go there and you see, you know, there are lo lots and lots of girls, which is, a, which is, I think, a fantastic thing. So, yeah. So MBA was the earlier, the bastion of the GEM, general engineer male. Now we are trying to bring in a lot more diversity there. So what have been your favorite <laughs> memories from the Red Bricks, your favorite <laughs> professors, uh, if you could tell us? Um, I think there were some people who were quite legendary and, and in those days we used to have, you know, Professor Mote and Professor Saha teaching a course, which all of us, it brought everybody down to, down to earth because here you were thinking that you had made it to IIM Ahmedabad. So you must be one of the smarter folks around. And then that, that one course taught you that you really know nothing about whatever it is that matters. Uh, but I think they were, they were amazing set of professors, both of them, Mote and Saha, and they taught together. Uh, and they were, they made for a lot of interesting classrooms. Uh, there was a professor of ours called Abhinandan Jain, who was another uh, outstanding, outstanding leader. And I think things have changed now, but in those days you could smoke in class. Uh, so, you know, it was interesting to see Abhinandan Jain sitting over there and, you know, in his own style, do things. And I think he was quite a, quite a character and quite a, quite a strong influence in a lot of us. Uh, there was another terrific professor we had who taught us uh, what we thought he was like the god of marketing uh, on campus, a professor called Labdi Bhandari, who unfortunately died in an air crash a couple of years after we, we graduated from school. Um, but he was, he, was, he was quite fantastic. You know, he was this person who would come sit in class 
Um, and it was so quiet that you could hear the fans on top whirring. And I don't think in your time now you have, you know, you probably have air conditioners. In those days, they were all fans. And, you know, he would, he would pause, think, and he would push his spectacles up from his nose. And, and everybody would be like waiting to say, you know, let's see what pearls of wisdom are going to come out from his mouth now. But he was quite a professor. So then coming to your professional life, HUL Kimberly. So it was like three decades of marketing and sales. And this is one question that I really want to focus on. So you sold pretty much everything in the sun, under the sun, probably soaps at Hindustan Unilever, colas at PepsiCo, yellow pages at Infomedia, then Huggies diapers at Kimberly. So what were your key learnings uh, from marketing and sales? Because it's a lot of ground level work also, a lot of traveling. And it's not like uh, the esoteric world of a B-school and uh, management. You really need to go there and talk to the distributor. So is this career suitable for everyone? Like who are the people who can actually succeed in this and really can make a career in marketing? This is going to be one focus question for us. Sure. So I think um, in those days, Anurag, um, it was, you know, we all had this dream of, of wanting to become a marketing person or you then wanted to work, or work in, in finance or in a bank. Uh, I must confess that consulting was only just about beginning to make its presence felt and investment banking was not something that anybody had any idea of. So there were really no investment banks to talk about. Um, marketing was therefore this glamorous thing that you wanted to get into. And we all had dreams that, you know, if you hit the jackpot, you would get to work for Hindustan Lever. And then you would get a chance to create all those fantastic ads. And, you know, you would get to choose whether Himamalni should continue to be the Lux uh, brand ambassador or not. And it was this very, this feeling that, wow, you would do all this cool work around brands. And it's interesting that when you join Hindustan Lever, you reach there and you thought, you know, wow, People will now say, you know, this is your room. This is where all the advertising happens. And what they do, of course, is to send you off to Samastipur or to Salem and say, now go and sell over there. But I think you learned an important lesson that marketing really begins with understanding, you know, what happens out there where customers part with their hard-earned cash for your product or service. And therefore, this whole idea of being able to go and understand how does this work? How does sales work? How does distribution happen? Who are our consumers? What do they look like? That was a huge learning. And I think it's a lesson that kind of stayed with me uh, for my entire career. So never mind which role I was in in the business, never mind what product I was selling. I was very keen to be out there in the front line uh, with my sales team trying to say, hey, what does it take to sell this product? I was out there trying to understand what makes our shopkeepers buy from us, what make consumers um, buy from us. So I think that's a great that's really how it works. And in terms of a suitability for people, uh, I must confess that it's hard work. And I, I'm, I'm thinking that a lot of people today have, have more glamorous options, perhaps. Uh, so I still remember that even in those days, we, when I worked at Hindustan Lever, you would say that, you know, so you finished two months of your training and they asked you, where were you? And, you know, somebody would say I was in Siliguri, somebody would say I was in Coimbatore. Whereas your banker friends would say, I'm just back from Hong Kong or we had a training program in Singapore. Uh, life was different. And the fact was that your work took you to small towns. It meant a lot of travel. It meant a lot of moves from one place to another. It was not like you got into a head office and stayed there for the rest of your career. So if you were okay with that, and if, if brands and consumers and communication, if those things excite you, then I think sales and marketing is a fantastic place to be. And I do think 
that never mind if you're in business, never mind which function you are in. I think it's good to spend some time in sales for two reasons. Um, the first, I think, is that you will learn how what happens out there in sales, what happens in the reality of the marketplace. And the second reason is that you will learn what rejection feels like. You will learn to, you know, you talked about ego earlier. And I think when you're in a sales job, you cannot have an ego because you might be this, this, you know, great guy from a big business school working for a large company. But when you stand in front of, you know, Kanti Lalji, who's running a small grocery store, you still have to say, Saab, aap, you know, you're looking for that ek order. De do. Thoda sa sabun le lo humse and you have to be willing to do that. And he will say, nahi chahiye. And you will try hard and he will say, nahi chahiye. And then you will walk away saying, I lost today. But you've got to believe I lost today, but I will come back tomorrow and I will win. Okay. And I think that's a good lesson that sales can teach you. And for a lot of us, we forget that in everything we do in our lives, there's an element of sales. So it, you could be in, you could be in a very high consulting kind of role, but you're still trying to sell a solution to a customer. And I think having a sales mindset, a mindset where ego is not an issue, where you're trying to build a rapport, where you're trying to put yourself in your customer's shoes, where you're okay with rejection, where you're okay with saying, it doesn't matter, I'll come back. I think those are lessons that you can learn from sales. So if somebody is, it's a great career, it's, got, it's, a, it's a fulfilling career, but you've got to ask yourself, is that what you want to do? And give yourself a good reason why you might want to do it then. And any lessons that you learned from those territory sales managers. So we had Mr. R. Gopala Krishnan on this show a few weeks ago. And he talked about yeah. a lesson where he went to Punjab. And there was this uh, old guy yeah. who struck a conversation with the retailer about his kids, about his wife and everything. And then order just came automatically. So those relationships were something he said was a major lesson that he learned from that field executive who would have like one fourth of his salary and very, very junior otherwise in the hierarchy. Yeah. yeah. So I must tell you, um, part of my job took me to, to a place called Hubli. Um, and, our, and one of the things that happens in sales is that you learn the discipline of doing small things right. Um, so it's not like, you know, a lot of us today get bored if we have to do the same things again and again. You know, uh, we want variety. People get bored if after two years their, their role has not changed or their, their domain hasn't changed or they're not working with new clients. We get bored very easily. But I must tell you that in a sales role, there's a lot of, lot of credit given to being able to do the same things over and over again and doing it every time like it's the first time. Okay, because you might think you're doing it again and again, but remember this time is the first time with this customer and it's the first time going to be able to sell that product to him. And the reason I'm saying this is that, so, you know, you would have to carry a route, a, a book where you wrote down every, every outlet, every dealer, what's his history? What did he buy today? Did he buy something? Did he not buy something? And you got to keep filling it up time after time after time. And you make those calls in the same sequence, you know, so if it is, if it is, you know, Anjali stores first and Kiran provision stores next and Mahavir general third, every time you go, it'll be in the same sequence. And the reason I'm saying this is that in Hubli, we used to have a distributor where our products would come not in an auto or a tempo, but on a bullock cart. Okay. Um, but the interesting thing was that the bullock cart, the, the bulls had got smart. So if you load the bullock cart and take it. And it will automatically go and stop in front of the first shop. 
and then you go and sell and then you get out come back and then you get back on and it will take you automatically to the second shop you know even it's that much of a repeat and you know so at some level when you say is kaam mein bahut ghoda giri hoti hai you know you can tell that aisa kaam hai but you learn to respect hard work i think and that's that's something that's probably stayed with us and so what about creating a culture for yellow pages in india and maybe uh, diapers in your those a decade ago diapers was not like the cult thing today which is like it's become a way of life so did you make some special strategies to make diapers a way of life in india a uh, yellow pages so that could be really some interesting snippets i think um, there are there are a couple of interesting lessons on what actually happens uh, with a diaper and it's a very unique kind of product because for a start the person who actually uses the product is not the person who's buying it you know um and that's a, that's an interesting dynamic so you're actually talking to a mom and and you're trying to tell a mom that hey this is good for your baby and that you should buy this for your baby and i'll tell you an interesting lesson that we learned out of consumer research in those days um we found that um, very often in those days there was also in a typical indian home you had the mom and the baby but you also had the mother in law or the grandmom staying over there and the grandmom was often a gatekeeper when it came to using diapers because it would be that you know hamare zamane mein to nahi hua you know i got your your husband when he was a little baby i look how i brought him up okay we didn't put diapers for him so there would be this thing that the diaper according to the mother in law or the grandmother is not something for the baby it is something for this lazy mother this mom is lazy she doesn't have the patience to run after the child and clean up the mess she doesn't have the patience to keep watching to say i need to clean the baby you know and actually in her opinion in the mother in law's opinion the poor baby has to suffer the diaper because of the the mother's laziness so i think a lot of our communication our early communication not only talked to the mom it also talked to the mother in law or to the to the grandmom to tell her why it's a good idea to give the babies uh, babies a diaper and i think that's that's a perhaps an interesting way to look at it and i think across products you will probably find that you might have a great product and you might be trying to sell it to the person who will get the biggest benefit from it but we forget that there are gatekeepers in a sale and we all need to watch out for those gatekeepers and get them on our side fantastic sir so after this stupendous corporate career the boardroom the cxo world you became a motivational and a keynote speaker and what was the trigger for this major career transition and uh, now in retrospect do you find this job inspiring people with your thoughts your writings your videos uh, chai with pai that kind of a thing more fulfilling than a corporate world where you would be like on that table and people would be like running helter skelter because you have asked for that particular slide that data so how does the dynamics yeah. change yeah so i think that there were a couple of triggers for for this whole uh, switch from doing what i was doing in the corporate world to actually moving on to do the stuff that i do right now uh, i wrote my first book in 2011 um and it was called the habit of winning and even before that i've always been fascinated by this idea of speaking um and and being able to motivate people and i felt even at work i used to always think that i was i saw lots of bright young people very very smart who came to work 
uh, I don't think they learned the sim some simple lessons which I thought were very important for success, not only in your career, but in your life too. So I think the truth is that you can spend two years in a business school and at least in those days, there wasn't a course on leadership or there wasn't a course on how to be a team player. Uh, there wasn't a course on how to get along with everybody. You Either you learned it outside of the classroom or you didn't. But even if you didn't, it didn't show in your grades. So you could come out being this topper in class, being fantastic in your grades, uh, being able to crack the case and get the, you know, get all the quant stuff right. Uh, but you didn't really know what does it take to be a good team player or how do I get other people to help me? How do I help other people to succeed? Uh, how can I become a good leader? And I felt that's something that I could make a difference with. I was lucky. I think I learned a lot of fabulous lessons from people I worked with. Uh, and I thought it's a good chance for me to try and share those lessons. And the book was perhaps the first attempt in that direction. Um, I then, you know, a second book happened. and I really wanted to go out and speak. And I had begun to speak. So even as I was working as, a, as the managing director of the business, I would spend the odd Sundays going and speaking somewhere or I would spend nights speaking somewhere and I would, I would try and do a bit of that. I was really enjoying it and I, I felt good about it. And, um, you know, sometimes you have this, this, this thought that comes to your head that if you, were, if you were run over by a bus tomorrow morning, what's the thing that you would really regret not having done? And for me, I think it was this, you know, I don't think I was, I was going to say that, hey, uh, if I if I was run over by a bus, I'll miss the fact that oh no, I didn't increase my business's market share by one more percent, or we didn't improve our gross margins by another hundred basis points, or, or I didn't increase more shareholder value. I don't think that would have been as much of a miss as saying, hey, I think I had a chance to do something different. I was also, I guess, around that time, this whole icky guy thing was a pretty pretty big idea and as a framework for understanding what you want to do in your life. I think it's very powerful. Um, and for me, it was really about saying, hey, what is it that I really love doing? What am I uniquely good at? What do I think that the world needs? And what would the world be willing to pay for? And for me, that kind of came together for me to say, I think, hey, I think I should be doing, I should be out there speaking and writing and helping other people become as good as they can be. And that's what I've been doing for the last, what, six years now? And to answer your question, I think I'm just, I'm just loving it. I, I feel terrific when, when, even if there's one person who might come, I might meet somewhere in, a, in an airport in the good old days, or, you know, someone will write to me or say that, hey, I, I read your book and I found that interesting, or I saw one lesson in a video and that made a difference to me. I say, wow, job done. Even if I can make a difference to one person, I think it's, it's terrific for me. Yeah. That's what I like. And sir, there's one interesting thing in my life also, because I love speaking. So in my childhood, ever since I grew up, everyone said, bohat bolta hai, bohat bolta hai. Then when I grew uh -huh. up, I had my first public speaking session and I came back and said, I have earned 2000 rupees for this. And they said, oh, you get paid for speaking as well. Speaking. So, <laughs> yeah. And that was yeah. like quite a thing. So what are your favorite reads? So top three reads which have left an indelible imprint. So Secret of Leadership and Habit of Winning are your own books, which feature in our favorite books. What are your three favorite books? What are my three favorite books? Um, Hey, I would probably say um, I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. Um, and therefore, I think Malcolm Gladwell and Outliers, perhaps that's the book that I enjoyed the most. Um, and I think if you don't already listen to it, I think Gladwell's podcasts are also extremely interesting. So I just love his ability to find connections between random 
and, and really research them and come up with some fantastic lessons. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of Gladwell. Uh, in recent times, I think there's this book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. Uh, I think that's another fantastic book. And for people who don't read much nonfiction or people who don't read very much, I'd still say that's probably a good book to read. It can, it can you know, help you change your habits in, in a pretty significant way. Um, as a kid, uh, one of my favorite authors was R.K. Narayan. Uh, R.K. Narayan used to write these little books about life in a small imaginary town called Malgudi. You might have, you know, I don't know, you might remember there's a TV series called Malgudi Days, which was really built on R.K. Narayan's story. And, and R.K. Narayan had this little character in, in it called Swami. He was this little boy, mischievous fellow, would play cricket all the time. And he was a member of MCC, which in those days for us, you meant the Melbourne Cricket Club, which was who controlled cricket. But for him, it was the Malgudi Cricket Club. Uh, but he would write about simple things that happen in our lives. He would write in a manner which everybody could understand. And I think that might have had, a, had some influence um, on me also, where I like to see, I'm not looking for some supersonic once in a lifetime occurrence to say, I want to talk about it as much as saying these simple things in our lives can teach us lessons too. And how do you tell them in a manner which feels like you've got a friend sitting next to you or a, or a loving uncle or a grandfather sitting with you and telling you a little story. Uh, and that's how you feel like listening to him and you feel like saying, Fir kya hua? you know, and I think that's really what I, I would want to do. Sir, I see a bat in the background. Uh, so is cricket uh, your source of rejuvenation, fitness uh, that keeps you going in spite of all the hectic schedule? So re rejuvenation, yes. Fitness, no. I don't play cricket very much uh, now. I used to early in my life. Uh, so I used to play a lot of cricket earlier. Big cricket fan. Huge cricket fan. And I think I, I try and get a lot of lessons also from cricket. Uh, and I try and use parallels from cricket to say, hey, how does it help us in our, you know, what can it teach us in our lives or what is it that we can learn from, from cricket for ourselves? Yeah. So yeah, cricket's a big part of my life. Anyways. So what else uh, features on your fitness regime, sir? Um, pretty ordinary. I, so I try and work out a couple of times in a week. We walk, my wife and I go for a walk uh, as often as we can. Uh, and I haven't done that for the last three, four months now, but when I can, I go and play golf. Okay, that's the other thing I do. The C, uh, C suit people always play golf because that's where the connection don't believe that. happen. Don't, don't, don't believe that. Don't believe that. I think, look at me, I, I don't, I'm not in any suite now. I'm, I'm in my own little, you know, little chotasa room. Um, you do things in your life because they give you joy because you enjoy it. Don't do it because somebody else is doing it or because if I do this, it will take me somewhere. That's a very, very, very poor way to live your life is what I would tell you. And that's true. Since you talked earlier about career and sales or what does it mean for young people? I often think uh, a lot of young people make the mistake of choosing careers, which they think are, are hot careers or, you know, you know, it's very difficult to get into it. So I must go there. I think that's, that's a lousy way to do it. You should take a career because it will take you where you want to go. Not because it's hot. You must do it because you want to, because it makes you happy. Because it will, in some ways, I often think that, you know, it's not to say that everybody must use the Ikigai every morning and say, what should I do today? That's not the plan. But the Ikigai framework is a good way to understand, hey, you know, will this job use my unique strengths? Will I love it? Will I be happy doing it? 
will I be able to make a difference to the world if I do it? And then, of course, if I do these three, and if there's value in it, then I think I'm in the right place. Maybe that's a good way to look at it. So that also reminds me of your stint as the CEO of the Mumbai Indians 2015. And that would have been a unique stint from managing an MNC to managing a cricket team. Uh, so if you could just uh, quickly tell us about that as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is in many ways uh, a dream come true. In the sense that I'm a big cricket fan and I couldn't have asked for more than to say get a chance to spend a season working with a cricket team. Uh, and a cricket team as successful and as accomplished as Mumbai Indians was really something. Uh, and I think it's, it, it was like, it, it was quite fascinating and you recognize both the challenges and the joys of, of a role like that and of the things that it might entail. Um, but yeah, I think um, if, if it also is a reminder to all of us that, you know, you should have a dream. Everyone should dream. Everyone should want to do something. Never, never rule yourself out of whatever it is that you might have dreamt about. And, you know, if you, if you're passionate about something, and you keep kind of testing the water with it, things will happen. Sir, uh, it's been quite some weeks, but uh, you had a tweet on uh, Shushan Singh Rajput, that incident. So that we live in very interesting times. People have a million friends and followers on social media and no friends in life. And we all need someone who smiles, cares, makes us feel good. So what would be your thoughts on that? Because COVID, I think, has uh, that shutdown work from home has really increased the isolation levels as well of people. We depend on social media, those likes, retweets. But uh, mm. that entire psychological aspect of dealing with the self, these emotions would be yeah. something that would like your insights on. True. So... Um... Yeah, I, I think it's just that I, I used that thought at a time where I was I was as uh, as saddened by what happened to to Sushant Singh Rajput, and for most of us, we saw him as much as the Dhoni character, yes. and and therefore for us, he was that hero who who got it right, and to see him go and to you know was was very very sad, and I think I was making a more a broader point to a lot of young people, to in fact to all of us that. Um, I think we all need friends. We all need love. We all need people we can call our own. And and I, you know, um, what happens on social media is that we've all got a, a DP, which has this, you know, good looking, big smile, sparkling eyes kind of picture. But that hides the reality of who we are. And I think we all can't keep putting up a facade all our, all our lives. We need to be ourselves. We need to have someone we can hang out with who will listen to us, who will like us for who we are and not for who we are pretending to be. And I think that was really something that I was trying to say. And, uh, you know, just to the, come back to your point about has it become tougher during COVID? Um, maybe not, because I do think one of the things that's happened is that families have just got together. You know, uh, kids and parents are all not going anywhere. They're all sitting at home. And I think it's a good time even now. And I think work from home is only going to increase a good time for all of us to reach out. It's good to sit down someday with your mom and not, not take her for granted that, you know, mom is the lady who sent you to school and now makes the food at home or, you know, or does something else or whatever it is. It's not a stereotype. You've got to be able to sit with her and have conversations. You know, and maybe if you're a grown-up, you've got to talk to her about the girlfriend who got away or, you know, the mistake that you made or, or you know, kya chori kya tha chote bachpan. You know, talk about it because that's what will bond you with, you know, will bond with people. And if, you, if, you're, not, if you're alone and not staying with family, you, you know, you still, I think, have uh, avenues online, virtual avenues to just 
still talk to each other and and just be yourself and i think the point i'm trying to make is uh, instead of trying to say mere kitne follower hai ya mere facebook ke pe kitne friends hai good to say you know do i have those three four five people in my life who i would talk to who i know if i called if i was you know if i was in trouble in a foreign country if i picked up the phone that person will help me you know do we have someone and i think it's important for all of us to know that we have someone like that more important it's a, we should make sure we are that person for someone else yeah when we think of having friends we always think of somebody else who is there to help us you know i think we ourselves have that role to play that there will be somebody else who will need that help and are you the person who that that other chap will be depending on to say you know i know if i'm in trouble anurag will get me i think we all need that yeah and so one follow up question from this and we are uh, moving towards the end now so uh, you are from a premier b school a very accomplished leader but a very uh, common feedback that i get from viewers on my channel is that i always bring these accomplished leaders people who have really done very well and it makes the ones who have not really done so well feel a bit left out so how does one reconcile the self uh, with the emotions that hey uh, there is this rat race i have not become a ceo i have not earned x amount of money i'm average in some way so an average student average corporate world guy an average entrepreneur who is not able to raise funds so how does one yeah. reconcile himself or herself to that feeling is one quick question on you know maybe the way to remember it is that right now you're listening to somebody who as a little kid was flying kites in jaipur yeah you know whose daytime passion was kr patang udao and even for that he wasn't someone who had the manja on one of those proper firkis i used to have a cherry blossom tin shoe polish tin empty tin on which we would you know tie the manja so that's that's how i started so who would have thought and i i think it's important for all of us to remember that this is not about if success or any such thing i'm not a ceo yaar i'm i'm just another guy today i'm not I, i'm not saying you're talking to someone because you know of any such thing the good thing to remember is each of us has something which is unique about ourselves yeah we have unique strengths so try and work on those strengths try and become as good as you can be with those strengths try and learn never start thinking that you know everything that you are so good that you don't have to worry about anything so try and be a learner all your life try and help other people don't you don't have to be uh, you don't have to be the you know to say that when i get something then i will help other people don't don't do that help other people become the kind of person who wants to just help other people and i think you will be happy in your life and the trick for us in our lives is not about you know nobody after when someone dies nobody says oh do you know how much money was in his bank account nobody says that right if you ever go to a, a you know a, a prayer ceremony after somebody's passed away nobody says you're such a good man yaar you had three flats in bombay you know nobody says that right they will they will talk about what did he do with other people how did he make you feel did he laugh did he make you laugh that's what you you're interested in and so you don't need very much to be that kind of person i think what we need to do for each of ourselves each of us is to say how can i be the best version of what i could have been okay uh, in there will only be one sachin tendulkar in the team okay but that doesn't matter you could be rajendra goel rajendra goel never played for india but people say he was the best spinner who never played for india okay uh, but he took a lot of wickets he helped haryana win a lot of games and bishan singh bedi says he was such a great guy now what else you need in life yaar yeah? you know if if people are saying good things about you 
so don't worry don't compare yourself with other people don't try and be in a rat race but just try and say the reason i'm saying you should be the best person that you could be is push yourself don't slack don't take it easy don't say i will not work hard oh i can't be ceo so i might as well lie down in bed and watch netflix all day that's a bad idea but what you must do is to do whatever it takes to become as good as you can be if you do that in my book you will be happy and you will be a huge success perfect answers and this brings from me maybe a request that you can draw your lessons from sports into a very good book that could uh, be a good idea for a book so my final question yeah. uh, uh, like uh, the mistakes that you would have made in your career so building on that what would be your advice to prakash ayer at the age of 20 so uh, maybe you just go down a few decades and now what would be your advice that's my final question to you so it's it's um it's interesting i'm not sure if there are mistakes um but i probably say this that you know so maybe when i was like about 19 or so i i was away from home after the you know my parents were somewhere i was somewhere else and i just think that it's a good idea if i now look back and i say maybe i should have called my mom every day you know maybe that that would have been something i would have done yeah and even when i grew up I, you know you get busy and you start saying yaar um, oh no you were in a meeting or you were doing a operations review and that damn thing went on till 9 and you come out people are all saying chalo yaar you know there is a table book somewhere we need to go and you thought you will make that call then but at that moment one young management trainee comes to you and says sir i want to ask you a question and then you're stuck with that person for another 15 minutes and then he starts saying oh no it's 10 o'clock you know maybe mom would have slept so you don't call and um, if you ask me i think one of the better things we can all do is make that call Oh, that that's is, what I would do. That is something really, which really hits uh, the things because we've also missed so many times calling mom. Then they keep yeah. waiting. Yeah. Thank you so much, sir. It's been a really true. very very powerful conversation that we had. I'm sure the viewers are really going to love this. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. Hey, thanks for having me here, Anand. Such a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, and and go well. All the best. Thank you, sir.